Well, when you take a look at the World Happiness Index, and yep, that's an actual thing, the World Happiness Index tracks around the world how people report uh, their levels of happiness. And what's maybe a little bit surprising is that people don't tend to link their happiness to how wealthy they are, and they don't tend to link their happiness to how successful they are, but what's, what is consistent and maybe not so surprising is that all over the world, people connect their happiness to the quality of their personal relationships. And that's something that we're going to see in Psalm 32 today. And it's not so much about our relationships with one another that is linked to our happiness, but rather Psalm 32 talks about the most foundational relationship of all, that is with our Creator God, and how the forgiveness of sins that enables that relationship is the thing that enables us to enter that state of happiness or blessedness, that position where we know for sure that the smile of our Creator God is turned towards us in grace and kindness and that we are the recipients of His love and His goodness. Uh, That happy forgiveness that enables our relationship with God is something that Psalm 32 explains and the psalmist talks about how he received it and then the psalmist urges us Uh, in that direction to receive it as well. See how he explains it there in verses 1 and 2. It's kind of the heading for the psalm. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. That kind of blessedness is a state of happiness where God's heavenly... um, His fatherly smile is turned towards us in love. And the psalmist is clear that comes through the forgiveness of sins. The one whose transgressions are forgiven, the person who's broken God's law, but that transgression has been let go. Uh, The one whose sins are covered. And that's not a picture of God being a bit shifty and God saying, I'll close my eyes for a second and pretend I didn't see that. Or God saying, I'm just going to sweep that under the carpet, don't worry about it. Uh, That's a picture of God saying, I'm happy to do the the job that's required to give you a fresh start. Like uh, when our front door of our church was graffitied and what did it need? not just for us to ignore it or to to turn uh, our face away from it, but rather it needed a new coat of paint. It needed to be covered over so that you could have a new door, as it were. And God says, I'm going to give you a new start, a new life, by covering your sin. And verse 2, against, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Uh, That's a wonderful picture that's picked up for us in the New Testament where we're told in Romans chapter 4 that God will not count our sin against us because instead he counts it against Jesus. That Jesus goes to the cross to die in our place as the substitute, as the one who takes the guilt of our sin and he removes it from us in order that we might be blessed, we might be happy, we might be forgiven by God. And for the Old Testament believer, this was crystal clear for them because they had to enact it out. They knew that their sin was the thing that stood between them and God, that there was a barrier. 
uh, that because of our rebellion against God and because of His holiness and our sinfulness, uh, there was a fracture in our relationship. There was a blockage, there was a barrier that stood between us and God that needed to be dealt with in order for us to be restored in relationship with Him. And for the Old Testament believer, the sacrificial system reminded them that they needed to deal with their sin and that it needed to be carried away and it needed to be dealt with by a substitute. So you can imagine uh, an Old Testament believer coming home to their family, happy and singing the praises of God, having gone to the temple to make the sacrifice. Dad, why are you so happy today? You can imagine the child asking. And at the dinner table, the father explains, well, I'm happy because of forgiveness. How do you know that you're forgiven, Dad? Well, I stood there in the temple and I laid my hands on the goat. And as it lost its life with my hand on its back, I knew that my sin, my guilt had been transferred to that goat as my substitute. And that image, of course... Uh, was just a picture of what God would ultimately do in the once and for all time substitute, the once and for all time sacrifice, when Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world. And in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul quotes this very psalm to talk about the fact that Jesus takes the penalty of our sin, Jesus takes the guilt of our sin, and God places it on Him at the cross in order that the burden might be lifted from us, in order that our guilt might be transferred to Jesus and that the the way might be cleared for us to have a restored relationship with the God who made us and who loves us and who would no longer look on us and see our sin and our guilt and our shame, but instead he would see the righteousness of his son Jesus given to us in the place of our sin. As the the prophet Isaiah talks about this, he has that great image of clothes that we come to God in dirty rags that need to be covered up and, and dealt with. And in their place, God gives us by his grace and kindness the robes of his righteousness that we might stand forgiven and right with him. So blessed is the one whose sin the the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. And I think the deceit of spirit that the psalmist is talking about here is the person who refuses to acknowledge their sin and their guilt before God. The person who will not confess their sins, who will not own up to the wrong that they've done towards the God who made them, the one who will not admit that they haven't loved God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength and love their neighbour as themselves. The person who will not admit that is the person who has deceit in their spirit. They're lying to themselves and they're lying to God. But the one who isn't deceitful when it comes to their own sin, the one who doesn't try to hide it, the one who acknowledges their broken relationship that they have with their heavenly father and the one who needs forgiveness well that's where this blessed happiness this forgiveness is received have a look at verses three to five when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful image, isn't it? The one of your strength being sapped and your bones wasting away in the heat of the midday summer sun. And the psalmist wants us to see uh, that that's what it's like. And, and our human experience knows that, I think. That when we know we're covering up a lie, when we know there's something wrong in our lives that we haven't admitted to God or to anyone else, we carry it around and it, it impacts us physically and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, one of the things that uh, happened to me in the early 2000s was that it seemed as though all of my cycling heroes were admitting to the fact that they'd been taking performance-enhancing drugs for many, many years. And uh, just this week, I was watching an interview with a cyclist by the name of Tyler Hamilton, who talked about the fact that uh, he carried this guilt around with him, this guilt of having committed crimes, of having lived a lie, of knowing the fact that he he had taken performance-enhancing drugs, he had participated in illegal doping activities. And it wasn't until that he sat in front of a grand jury in America and decided that he needed to tell the truth, he said, I didn't realise how deep the guilt was until I started telling the truth. I didn't realise how deep the guilt was until I started telling the truth. And he says, as he began to tell the truth to the grand jury, it's as though the guilt was brought up and let go of. And that's the picture that we get here from the psalmist, that as we come to God with the knowledge of our own sin, our own failings, the way that we haven't loved him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, that we haven't loved our neighbour as ourselves, and that we come before him and acknowledge our guilt acknowledge our sin and confess it to him, bring it out into the open, it's then that we're able to receive his gracious and loving forgiveness because of the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross for us. Then I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Our guilt is a big issue, isn't it? Sometimes we can feel guilt because we know that we have let someone down who we love. We know that we haven't lived up to our own expectations of ourselves or the expectations of others and sometimes those expectations are unreasonable or unfair and we shouldn't feel guilty about not meeting those unrealistic expectations. But there's a right guilt, isn't there? There's a right guilt that you can feel when you know that you haven't loved your spouse as you ought, when you know that you've let your children down and you've done the wrong thing, you know, when you know that you've broken the law, when you've lied on your tax return, when you've taken something that didn't belong to you, you know when you've hurt someone and you've, you've, you've acted out in your anger 
there's a right guilt in there that says to you, that your conscience says to you, you need to deal with that. And this is a, a wonderful picture of how God has made us, that we have a conscience that we need to listen to and that we need to train and that we need to direct in the ways of God so that when we know that we've done the wrong thing, that we might come before our Creator God and confess our sins and receive His forgiveness. And so the encouragement from the psalmist is that we should all do that. It's the only way to that true blessedness, that happy forgiveness that comes from God in Him dealing with the sin that you and I could never deal with, Him laying our guilt and our shame on Jesus at the cross in order that we might receive from Him all the righteousness that we don't deserve and that He graciously gives us that we might be restored in our relationship with Him. And so this is what the psalmist says in verse 6. He says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. That's a warning, isn't it? That God is patient. He's slow to anger, but his patience will come to an end. That we don't have forever. That we need to deal with our sin now and seek his forgiveness now. And then surely the rising of the mighty waters of judgment will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. It's that great picture, isn't it, of the rock of ages, that beautiful hymn uh, that Augustus Toplady wrote for us as he was hiding in the rock in the middle of the storm and he realised that God is the rock of ages who's cleft for us, who shields us by his grace and kindness that we might be protected from his righteous, his just, his good judgment against sin and evil and all the corruption in the world. That we need to be found hiding in his grace and kindness, not running away from him or thinking that we can hide our sin from him if we can just run fast enough, but run to him as refuge from the coming wrath, as the one who offers forgiveness and salvation in the Lord Jesus. The psalmist says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Right? Don't be the stubborn mule who has to be dragged kicking and streaming, screaming by the, the bit in his mouth, dragged kicking and screaming where you don't want to go. Don't be like that, always wanting to run off in your own direction. No, hear the loving and gracious call of God that forgiveness is on offer, that Jesus died to take your sin and guilt and shame. And so come to God gladly, joyfully, quickly and receive the forgiveness of your sins. Many are the woes of the wicked, verse 10, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And so if you're someone who's confessed your sins to God, 
who's owned up to your own failing and the guilt that rightly belongs to you because of your own sin. If you've received the forgiveness that God graciously offers because Jesus died in your place as your substitute and your representative, and therefore by faith and placing your trust in him, he graciously gives you his righteousness, he gives you that fresh coat of paint, he gives you a fresh start, a new life, then who will we be? Well, we will be the ones who rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. And we will sing with joy in our hearts, all you who are upright in heart. Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. I hope and pray that you've come to God for forgiveness today. Amen.